today we're going to be doing a solo sermon, and uh, it's titled The Organization and the Organism. And um, uh, it'll, it'll be clearer in a little bit what that's about. But before we dive in, I'll pray and um, yeah, just ask God to take over. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this chance you've given us to gather and to worship and to commune and to uh, learn. Um, yeah, we want to bring to you everything that's going on in our, in our minds and our hearts uh, this week. Uh, in particular, we want to lift up uh, the victims of the earthquake that happened in Morocco recently. And uh, as of this morning, I just checked and um, over 2,000 people have died. And it's just, you know, numbers like that, it's, it's so mind-boggling to think about um, how something like that could have such devastation and such an impact in so many people's lives. So we want to lift up those who are suffering, those who've lost family members or those who've lost homes, those who they can't get the assistance they need uh, because the roads have been destroyed. And God, we just pray that you would provide. Uh, we recognize that in this country, um, which is, uh, a, only has a, a very small Christian population, uh, we, we recognize that um, there are a lot of people who are lost and they're hurting and they're looking for you. And so we just pray that you would raise up the church and you'd uh, meet the needs of those who need it the most. Um, and that during this dark time, your, your church may shine. Uh, we lift the rest of us up, uh, and regardless of what problems we're going through, what concerns occupy our minds, uh, we pray that uh, we would lift them all up to you, and that uh, you would be the God of healing and the God of restoration. May you cause us to be receptive to what you have in store for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, this sermon is partially inspired by this book. Uh, it's called The Trellis and the Vine. I read it about 10 years ago. Uh, I, at the time, I just um, decided to go into ministry, and uh, someone just recommended this book, and I read it. And it, it, it's, I always go back to it. It's drastically changed how I, how I view the church, how I view ministry. And the, the basic premise is that the church, you can think about it as, as having two components. There's a lattice trellis, the, the trellis portion, and then there's a vine portion, okay? So if you know nothing about gardening, so a, a trellis is like this lattice structure. It's often wooden, but it's like this like crisscross, tic-tac-toe kind of uh, thing, and, and, it's, uh, and it's made to support a plant that grows on it and weaves through it, okay? Kind of like a vine. And so the trellis represents the church as a structured organization, all right? So these include leadership positions, serving ministries, uh, sound equipment, buildings, meetings, budgets, special events, so on. So all of these things, you can think of that as the, the trellis portion of the church. These are all the administrative logistics that need to be done in order for the church to run. All right, And the vine represents the church as a natural organism. So these include things like fellowship, evangelism, prayer, worship, discipleship, so on. And so these are all the spiritual activities that the church is supposed to do. All right, so the church is supposed to grow the vine. Uh, the goal is to have fellowship and to evangelize, to have worship, to have prayer, and, 
and things like that, okay? So, but in order to do those things, you often need structure. You need all of these components, these administrative logistics. You need to have uh, a, a building to meet in. You need to have a time to show up. You need to have a meeting to plan who's bringing the food to this outreach event. You need to do all these things. And so you need to uh, uh, build this structure, build this lattice or this trellis such that uh, the vine can grow on it, okay? So obviously the trellis is important. The vine depends on the trellis. In order to make disciples and to grow the church, you need to spend time on a lot of these trellis-related activities. But there's a potential danger that sometimes church, churches they fall into, which is they spend most of their time, if not all of their time, building a really nice trellis and very little time growing the vine. And what I mean by that is they're spending all their time having meetings and planning events and coordinating logistics, but there actually isn't very much fellowship or evangelism or discipleship or growth at all. They're just building a structure. So it looks like a really great structure, but you have a very withered vine on the structure. Um, one of the reasons why sometimes this happens is because, you know, trellis work is often easier than vine work. It's easy to go to a planning meeting and volunteer, hey, I'm going to bring the Coke in next week to, these, you know, to this potluck we're going to have or whatever. It's easy to do something like that. It's much harder to, let's say, share the gospel with a friend, or it's much harder to call someone who's going through a tough time and to provide support. It's those sort of organic doing the church things are a lot harder to do. Also, trellis work often looks more impressive than vine work. It's more visible. We can point to something tangible, like a meeting, an event, or a program. We can say, oh, look at this thing we did. Look at these pictures we took. Look at, you know, look at the, the, maybe the money we have to show for it, or the amount of money we raised. And this is something tangible we did, and so we feel proud of ourselves for doing this thing. But sometimes vine work uh, takes a long time. It's hard to quantify. It's hard to say how much you are growing or how, much, how, uh, how spiritually matured you've become over the past year. Those sort of things are harder to measure. And so it's possible for a church to be growing in all of these organizational ways. Uh, there are many events and many programs, things like that. But it's possible for that church to actually not be growing as an organism. It isn't making disciples, and people aren't maturing in their relationship with God. Um, that's sort of an extended introduction. I'm going to read uh, in, in a few moments some, uh, from this passage in Numbers 11. And I think Numbers 11, uh, there's this very interesting story. It's a little bit obscure, but it relates to this idea a lot. And in this chapter, what's going on is the people of Israel are complaining to Moses. Okay, so first they complain because they were hungry. And, and so God sends them manna. And then they were complaining that they have too much manna, and all they have to eat is manna, they're sick of manna. And so that's, that's the current scenario. It's very, uh, toddlers do a very similar thing, actually. They're hungry, and then, you know, but they don't like eating leftovers, okay? Anyways, so what's going on is they want something new. So God instructs Moses uh, to install 70 men to be elders of Israel, okay? And so let's read about this. This is in verse 16. Of Numbers 11. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. 
They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Okay, so here's what's going on. So here's this problem. People are complaining about this food situation. And so what God does is, okay, let's set up some structures to, to help account for this problem. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to have this new leadership structure where these 70 men, they're going to help share the leadership load. All right, and to initiate this new leadership structure, we're going to have an event. Come to this location, the tent of meeting, that's like the big tent in the middle of the camp, okay? That was the Holy Tabernacle, and, uh, and, and here's the invite list. There's 70 men, you're supposed to come to this camp, and there's this agenda for this program. The Spirit will be put on you, okay? So that's the structure that's being installed, all right? So what happens? Well, th there's a lot more details, but we're going to skip down to verse 24, and keep reading. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. And so uh, Moses followed these instructions, and everything seemed to go according to plan. The people showed up. The Spirit showed up. Great things happened. Okay. And then the next verse is where things get interesting. Verse 26. Okay, now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. All right, so in this scene, what's going on? You have these two dudes, Eldad and Medad. They were supposed to go. We don't know too much about these people. They don't appear anywhere else in the Bible, okay? But they're supposed to go to the tent of meeting, but they didn't. They remained in the camp. And we don't know why. Maybe, you know, they, uh, they, had a, they just woke up late. They slept in. Maybe they didn't get the invite. Maybe they didn't want to listen to Moses. We don't know if it was an accident, if it was on purpose. We don't know. But we do know they weren't there, but strangely, the Spirit also poured onto them too, and they were prophesying as well. Okay. And now Joshua, who, who later gets his own book, but Joshua, Moses' assistant, he hears about this, and he gets concerned, and he goes, Moses, stop these people. They're not, they're not following the plan. The plan is supposed to show up at the tent of meeting. They're supposed to be experiencing the Spirit and counting the Spirit over there, so stop them. Okay. Um, now let's read verse 29. What happens? But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Okay, so here's what happened, just to sort of summarize. God created some structures, and he says, Follow these instructions, and then I'm going to show up and do great things with these structures. Okay, things seem to go according to plan. And then what happened was some people didn't follow the plan. And the Spirit also poured out on those people. And Joshua was very concerned. And Moses says, that's okay. In fact, I wish that all of the Lord's people would prophesy, not just the people who showed up at the tent of meeting. So Joshua was thinking, this isn't right. How, how come these two people are prophesying over here? They're, you know, they're, doing the, they're not following the plan. This is outside of the structures that God had commanded. But Moses realizes the structures aren't the end goal. The structures were put, were put into place so that the Spirit would be poured out, so that people would encounter God, 
And if the Spirit falls on the people who follow the instructions and they're there when they're supposed to, then that's great. But if the Spirit falls on people who aren't part of the plan, who didn't follow the instructions, who aren't part of the structures, then that's good too. So I want to point out a few principles. Um, the first is this. I think this is pretty obvious, but it's worth, it's worth saying. God does amazing things within official structures. Okay, so the 70 men who gathered at the tent of meeting, uh, they experienced God there. God met them there. And that same thing, the same phenomenon can happen today. What I mean is, you know, sometimes we give, uh, we Christians or sometimes Christian skeptics, okay, we give the institutional church a hard time. You know, we look at all of the issues in the institutional church, all of its traditions and all of its abuses and all of this bureaucracy and all of these formalities, and we go, man, this, what a, what a corrupt, broken you know, old, outdated system. Let's forget all that, okay? But I think passages like this show us that sometimes God calls us to do certain things. He calls us to build certain structures, and we go along, and that is the means by which God shows up, okay? Sometimes God works in the institution. Sometimes God works in the organization, in all of these logistics, and all of these details. And I think that's a good reminder for those of us, especially who are in church leadership positions, that, you know, when we plan things, we're not just planning things just to have an event. We're planning things with the hopes that God will do something with it, that God will show up with it. You know, I'm reminded of um, that scene in, uh, where Elijah is building this altar, right? So we built, I think that's a good imagery for what the church is like. You know, we put in the time and the effort to build an altar-like thing. Okay, we have the rocks and the water and stuff and the sacrifice. But God, we do it in the anticipation that God will show up through fire. And that's what a lot of church work is like. You know, we're just going to these meetings. We're showing up at these meetings. We're praying for these meetings. We're planning these meetings. We're bringing supplies to these meetings. We're giving money to these meetings. But the meetings, they aren't the point. We're doing these things in the hopes that God will show up. And sometimes God does. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in church leadership, Keep that in mind. Don't just plan things just for the sake of planning things. Do so in the anticipation that God will show up. Don't get so uh, lost in the details, that you, uh, the, the details of the trellis that you neglect that God may, may actually reign and grow the vine on your trellis, all right? So don't just think about the logistics. Think about the relationships, the people, and ask God to show up. All right, so that's the first principle. God does amazing things within official structures, and maybe you're sort of uh, anticipating the second principle, which is that God does amazing things outside of official structures. God does amazing things not just within our official structures, but outside of our official structures. So, you see, the reason why Joshua was concerned was that uh, Edad, Eldad and Medad, they were prophesying outside of these structures, not according to the plan. But Moses understood that the precise location at the end of the day didn't matter. He wanted people to experience God, not just in the official structures, just, not just among the people who follow instructions, but everywhere. You see, if we only see the church as an organization and not as an organism, then we will potentially miss out on the work of God when it happens outside of these structures. 
because God isn't confined to the institution of the church. He's not confined to the formalities and the, and the organization of the church. God can also work outside of our expectations in places sometimes in which we least expect. You know, sometimes there's a tendency uh, in, in the modern Christian world to see the church as a building that we go to on Sundays and that's it. You know, we even use that sort of language. Oh, what time? Oh, uh, where is the church located? Oh, the church is located at this address. So we think of it as a building. Well, sometimes we view the church as an event. What time is church? Oh, after church, after I go to church, then I will go to the baseball game or so on. Okay? So we think of, a, of, of church as a building, a place, or as an event, a, a time. But biblically, actually, church is the people. Church is not just a building or an event. Church is the people. And so it's not just uh, an organization. It's an organism that is ever-growing regardless of time and place. And if you only think of church as a building or as an event, then you might think that God is limited to Sunday morning at this location, 1501 North Rolling Road. Okay, But church is much bigger than that, and God is not limited to that. Wherever the people of God go, that's where the church is. You know, maybe you can have, let's say, a visitor come into Grace Life Church on a Sunday service and they'll encounter God here and praise God, that would be awesome. But maybe they will go to your house on a random weeknight for dinner and they will encounter God there too. Because God doesn't limit himself to just this place at this time. He can work anywhere. And that's why when Jesus was on earth, he didn't spend all of his time 24-7 in synagogues. He spent his time among regular people. He taught people in boats and on mountains and in people's homes. Like he was traveling around doing what we would consider church in all of these different places. So as he went about to all these places, church happened. Not church in the institutional, formal sense, where you have a scheduled time, and a scheduled meeting, and a set agenda. Not that kind of church, but just organic, living life church. And of course, you know, I'm not saying don't go to these church structures. I'm not saying don't go to church services or community groups and things like that. I recommend those things as well, because as, again, God commands us to do things sometimes, and God does show up within those structures sometimes. I'm just saying we shouldn't be limiting our spiritual experiences to those contexts. And so I encourage you to look for God moments outside of official structures. In, you know, as you spend your time with your coworkers or with your neighbors or with your friends or family members, random people that interrupt your day, as you spend time, look for ways in which you could be encountering God and for ways in which you can help other people encounter God. Be intentional about every meal you have, every conversation you have, you know, every time you're waiting in line, every time you have a temptation to pull out the, your phone because you have nothing going on. Be intentional because you never know when God might show up. It could be a bus stop. Or it could be a checkout line at a grocery store. Or it could be at a friend's birthday party. You know, all these places are game. They're possibilities for God to work. So remember that God does amazing things just, not just inside official structures but also outside those official structures. And here's another thing that uh, stands out to me from this passage, uh, a third principle, if you will, which is don't care about who gets the credit. Um, 
you know, when Joshua was talking to Moses, I was trying to think through why would Joshua be so, why would Joshua be so concerned? Why would Moses phrase it this way in verse 29, are you jealous for my sake? I think what's going on is that Joshua, he's bringing this up with good intentions because he's genuinely concerned about Moses' reputation. Because, you know, at the time, you know, just to give you some bigger context. So Moses, he was always a little bit of an outsider to the people of Israel. Okay, so people from the beginning, they viewed him with skepticism. Here's this guy who grew up a rich prince of Egypt. He was never a slave. Okay, he was, he sort of compromised with the enemy. All right, and he runs away for 40 years and then he comes back and how are we to trust this guy? And then throughout even the ministry, after Moses led him out of Egypt and you know, did all these miracles and in the wilderness, people were constantly questioning him. Like, who is this guy? Are we supposed to follow this guy? And then there would be factions who, that would rise up and challenge Moses' authority. So that's sort of the background. And so Joshua was probably concerned about Moses' status as a leader. And uh, one of the ways he sort of made sure that Moses was the undisputed leader of Israel was he had to make sure that, you know, everything went according to plan. And so he probably thought, okay, so this is Moses' plan. You'd install these 70 leaders going on in the tent of meeting, and this plan. Okay, now we have another faction. We have these random people not following Moses' instructions, doing these spiritual things over there. Okay, is this maybe a competing faction? Is this uh, some, some people who are going to try to take over? Is this like a usurping of authority situation? All right. So Joshua, because of that, he wanted to make sure that the experience of God was limited to people on Moses' team. But Moses, he didn't see it that way. He didn't care who got the credit. He didn't care who was on whose team. What Moses was concerned about was that everybody could experience God. And I think this is similar to another story that I think about in Mark chapter 9, 38 to 40, where the apostle John He's talking to Jesus. Let's read this real quick. And this is what happens. He says, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. And there's a very similar dynamic here where you have, you know, a disciple of someone, an underling of someone, uh, this kind of figure, and they're, they're, they're very concerned about their teacher's reputation. And they're going, hey, there's this stuff going on over there, not in our structures, not on our team, so we have to stop them. And then, same as Moses, Jesus is going, don't stop them. Because, you know, they might not look the exact same as us. They might not do anything the same way as us, but maybe God is working there too. So let them be. We don't do the work of the church because it gives us glory. We do the work of the church because it gives God glory. In the same way, when we see other things going around, those things may not be giving us glory, but that's okay because maybe they're giving God glory. You know, my goal personally is not to make disciples of Larry or even to make disciples of Grace Life Church. Okay? My goal is to make disciples of Jesus. And so sometimes... You know, uh, I'll be, you know, I think about this a lot right now. You know, uh, Johns Hopkins, their um, semester has began, and I'm helping out a little bit with college ministry. And, you know, one of the pressures I feel, this, I haven't done college ministry in a long time, at least at this level. I, I did it about 10 years ago. 
But uh, one of the things that goes on in the college ministry world is, you know, most colleges, they have multiple Christian groups on campus, okay? And so sometimes I, I'm often wondering, okay, so how can we pitch ourselves such that people will choose us over these other Christian groups, all right? Uh, and so, like, what do we have? What's our edge or what's our angle? What's our, what, is, what benefits do we offer that these other Christian groups don't offer? How can we convince them, essentially, that we're better than these other guys? Okay, but I think uh, passages like this, you know, it's a, it challenges me to reframe things because God can work in a variety of ways, and he can work through stepping some ministry, and he can also work through other ministries as well, and I don't need to have this sort of, you know, antagonistic heart. I can just be okay with the fact that, you know what, it's possible. I may meet with a kid five times and get really excited and then the next week they just decide i want to join another christian ministry and I'm, you know and that's okay it's okay um god can work over there just as well as he can work over here and maybe god's plan for this person is different um i realize you know as someone doing college i don't want to have this mentality of joshua this mentality of, of john where I'm being uh, overly protective, overly, you know, miserly about the people that God has entrusted to us. And just, you know what, be okay with the fact that God can work anywhere. The Christian kingdom of God is much bigger than Stepping Stone or Grace Life. Um, it's everywhere. And uh, I, I don't want for uh, our hearts uh, of just wanting to protect our own to get in the way of that. You know, in today's passage, um, Moses said to Joshua, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that too. That's such a powerful image of, of just, not just the people who regularly go to church experiencing God, not just the people who follow instructions experiencing God, not just the people on our team, but everywhere. Even in random places where people least expect you know, I pray that we open up our eyes to see that possibility, to see that God can work anywhere, and that random people can experience God, can experience God too. You know, later, this wish of Moses actually became a prophecy. In Joel chapter 2, this is what Joel says in verse 28 to 29, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and notice, it's not just the 70 elders who follow the instructions, it's all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then, what was Moses' wish, which later became Joel's prophecy, became a reality in Acts chapter 2. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, the spirit came out, poured out in the city of Jerusalem, and Peter, the apostle, recognized that the prophecy of Joel was being fulfilled. And he quoted this in Acts chapter 2, and he says, this is happening today. Well, Moses wished that the Spirit would not just be limited to a special select group of people who follow instructions. And what Joel prophesied, that is happening today. The Holy Spirit is being poured out freely on everybody who would choose to repent and believe in Jesus. And the church 
What is going on today is a continuation of that. We are continuing this vision and this mission of the Spirit being poured out on all people so that all people would one day encounter and experience God. The way this happens is through the church in all of its, all of its facets. We have the institutional organizational side, the building of the trellis side. We're going through great lengths, great efforts, sometimes a little bit boring sometimes, but we're going through these tasks of planning these meetings and going to these meetings and talking about logistics and planning these events and, and working out budgets, stapling papers. You know, we're doing all these things in the hopes that God will show up. And it also happens in the organic side, the outside of our structure side, where we meet up with people to have coffee and we just call people when they're having a bad day. And we're just initiating a spiritual conversation with our neighbor. We're just doing all these things in the hopes that God will show up too. And as we do that, we'll be able to witness more and more people encounter God. Let's anticipate the work of God. Let's open our eyes to see and anticipate God's work. Let's build these altars and wait for a fire to call, come down. To see God work not only within our structures, but without on the outside of our structures, not caring who gets the credit for his glory. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for your, your desire for us to know you. We thank you that uh, you're not a God who is just content with just being far away and us just minding our own business and doing our own thing, but you want to engage. You want to be intimate. You want to reveal yourself. You want to speak to us. And so we, God, we pray that that would happen. Uh, firstly, in our own lives, that we would encounter you. And secondly, in our immediate uh, communities, our family members, our friends. But thirdly, in, in all the spheres of influence we have, all the circles that we touch in our neighborhoods, our schools, uh, the organizations, the companies where we work, um, such that one day, all people would know you. All people would experience your spirit. God, I just pray that uh, we wouldn't settle for um, uh, experiencing church in these small, detailed, specific ways. That we wouldn't settle for just experiencing God to these compartmentalized moments in which we allot, oh, here's one hour this week. Here's this time I'm giving to you. Please show up here. But you give us the, uh, the eyes to see just how big you are, how powerful you are, and how unexpected and surprising you can be. And how you can work in all places and all times, even when we're not planning for it. Give us those eyes. Give us those ears. And give us this heart that longs to know you and to see others know you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.